0: everybody and welcome to the Anfield Talk podcast, hashtag TATPod. Today we're going to be talking about Liverpool beating Leicester 3-0 yesterday. Absolutely played them off the park, showed them who the Premier League champions are. Uh, I'm joined today with Ryan and Robson. We're going to start off with that Leicester game. Uh, the talk before the game was of Liverpool potentially losing their home record because of the injuries we had. No Henderson, no Van Dijk, no Gomez, no Thiago, no Ox, no Salah, no Trent, no Shakiri and we still wipe the floor with them. 64 games now, it's unbeaten at Anfield. A new club record, winning 53 of those games, drawing 11. That's 170 points out of 192. Um, I'm going to start off with getting your general thoughts on the game. Uh, I'm going to come to you, Ryan, first. Did you think we would perform so well after all of the issues that we had going into this game?
1: Uh, um, Maybe not as well as we did, but I think I was in the minority where I wasn't actually too worried about it. Like There was a lot of like, talk about how bad our injuries are right now, but when you look at the squad that we managed to put out, apart from maybe Naby and Curtis Jones, who don't play many, many games, it was a very, very strong team and a lot of players that play a lot of football. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the issue going into it wasn't if we were going to get the points. It was how would this, this group of players cope with the game and then the games going forward like while i was thinking of a team who would start that game i was struggling to think of who would who i then would play in the champions league game midweek because you don't really want to get too many players burnt out and um, risk any more injuries so yeah i wasn't too worried going into it and i do think the performance was exceptional really like the likes of curtis jones i thought it was my man of the match personally was mm. outstanding. Um, Fabinho and Matip looked like they played together every week at the back. Um mm. one looks like he's a first-place right-back. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, very pleased with that performance. Yeah, we're definitely going to get
0: into some of the points that you just touched on. Um, Robson, uh, how much does this performance fill you with confidence for the rest of the season? Um, I'd say I'm, I'm excited to
2: the point where it could probably be classed as getting a bit carried away. Mm. <laughs> um, I think there's nothing I wrong with that. We like, just, you just oh, back no, at somebody there. Of <laughs> course not, you know. But I just mean like every year, right? It seems that it was just it just reminded me of Boxing Day last year so much, um, mm. where it was like, oh, Leicester are challenging. or there's other people that are like sort of creeping up on, uh, on Liverpool. Maybe they're not as strong as um as we think they are, and then we they they come and we just absolutely blow them out of the water. And I don't know if it's just mm-hmm. because it's sort of Leicester, but it just seemed like. That game seems really, really important. It seems like a sort of—I don't want to say turning point because we haven't even been bad, but it just seems like it. Just—I think the thing that I showed the most is that we've got the strongest mentality, of not just in the team, but as a squad. I like would literally are mentality monsters. Every single person in that squad, not just like the first eleven or the first thirteen players, everyone. When they get called upon, regardless of how much game time they get, the, the step up and the play, like you would, you would think they'll play every week. And I think that was the key thing for me. It filled me with so much confidence that yeah, we've got loads of injuries, but but it, it's not going to matter. We're still going to march onto
0: this title and retain it. Yeah, definitely. I think your point about Mentality Monsters, I think we, we go on about it a lot, but we go on about it because it's it's so, so important. Like with the, the, the thing about this team, and I think what they will be remembered for is every setback that they've had, they've come back from stronger. Like, all right, you know, we're talking about losing finals. We're talking about losing out on title races by like one point or, or whatever it is. Um, and then... You know, this year we're looking at losing Van Dijk. Okay, let's go again. Losing Gomez, let's go again. It's just carrying on, no matter what is happening. Um, Ryan, I'm going to come to you on this. Like Leicester was supposed to be, uh, you know, title challengers before this game. There was a lot of talk about, you know, Liverpool potentially losing their Anfield record. Um, I even asked it in the the previous show. We made them look like mid mid-table mediocrity, to be honest. Um, Was it the case of us being so good or them being so bad?
1: Um, I think it's a bit of both us being good, them being bad and Brendan Rodgers being Brendan Rodgers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they set up with a free at the back, which maybe that gets the best out of their players. I don't know. I don't watch them with I an mean, investigative eye too much, but mm. I do feel like we don't really get, have problems when we go against a free at the back. And also the way that they seem to attack was... Apart from a couple balls over the top where I think yeah. Harvey Barnes managed to get a shot off in the first half and mm-hmm. um, he might have had two shots and, no, Justin had a shot um, that skimmed off Matthew's head. Um, Barnes had a shot and Telemans had a shot from yeah. distance. I can't re- remem- remember them causing us too many problems. And yes. the centre-back, Fofana, was it? He had a really good game, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. There was one time he dribbled through Naby and Wijnaldum like they weren't there. And yeah. a few times when the players actually tried to get at us by taking us on, we looked a bit shaky, especially having Keita and Jones in midfield, than yeah. yeah. the usual players like Henderson and Fabinho. I was thinking they could cause us problems in the second half, but they still seemed to keep relying on that ball over the top, hope, hoping Vardy or Barnes could um, get <laughs> on the end of it. Which, yeah. when you think about it, we're not playing a high line anymore with the players that we have available, and the two players we do have at the back, Fabinho and um, Matip, yeah. you're not going to find many better players in the air in the Premier League than them two. Yeah. And they yeah. they dealt with the pressure in the air really, really well. I thought. So yeah, it's just from Leicester's um, perspective, I didn't think it was great, and yeah. but from our our point of view, I thought we were man for man it was incredible. Um. Yeah like I alluded to it earlier about Kyrie Strang being my man in the match, I was very, very surprised how well he did defensively because mm-hmm. um, some of the criticism that he's got from fans and I wouldn't call it criticism from myself, I'd say is just something that he could be improved on because obviously he's just coming into the team and yeah, he's a yeah, yeah. very attack-minded midfielder, is that he is susceptible to being caught out defensively but his tracking back, getting stuck in tackling and just all-round awareness yesterday what I thought was really, really good. And... I was surprised that him and Kater complimented each other as well as they did without um, them getting caught out because the football was incredible at times in the first half. Like Kater's free ball, where I was, I was thinking I okay, could just clear the ball, get out of there. He took it down, took mm. someone on outside of his foot, switched it to Mane on the other side of the pitch. I was yeah. really, really impressed by them too that game.
0: I think, uh, I think talking about Kater and Jones, I think one of the things from the performance that they really stood out was. I felt like we played a lot on the floor, quite a lot, in terms of and through the middle. Um, And I think that was like the fact that we had two very comfortable players on the ball uh, in our midfield. I think that kind of uh, translated into that very kind of progressive play on the floor, um, very quick passing, uh, one twos, triangles, all of that kind of stuff um, was going on. And and that was kind of coming from, you know, Jones and Cater really putting that energy in, with obviously Wijnaldum backing them up in that number six role. Um, just going back onto the the, the Leicester thing, um, for me, I think it's 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 very much the case of classic uh, Brendan Rodgers. Like one of the things about earlier this year, when when they went to um, City and beat them five three, I thought to myself, wow, that that's a really strong performance. You know, uh, something that maybe Leicester haven't done before. Rodgers hasn't really done before going away and kind of like really, you know, really getting a, a big result. But but I think seeing how the season's gone now and seeing how City are panned out, that was more City kind of being really bad than than actually um, Leicester being that good. Uh, yesterday, we made them look really, really mediocre.
2: I think that has something to do, like it's a similar kind of result um, to the Villa game with us in that Leicester were being were so strong and City were just really poor on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think just... I mean, not to, like, blow my own trumpet or anything, but a point that I made on the podcast last week about uh, the reason why I think that we would have won was because uh, Rodgers doesn't handle with, um, like, sort of teams he can't predict very well. Mm. And I think that was a... It, it was sort of a prime case yesterday. Of he did not expect um, the team to line up uh, the way it was, other than the sort of Mona fact, which I think he, he definitely targeted. But I think he just knew that Trent wouldn't be there, so that's why he targeted that side. And I just think that he... he, he it's again. It's that ball over the top because he's he's used to seeing all um, us play such a high line and not kind of realizing that we've swapped that out a bit and he just didn't know. Like tactically, he got it all wrong.
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we're going to talk about the 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 beginning of the game and and obviously Ryan mentioned how how good the football was, uh, especially with you know Keita Jones kind of uh, Jota as well being really really influential. Um, we're going to talk about the the first goal and. Obviously, I think Liverpool get the luck that our football deserved. Um, you know, it's an assist for James Milner. It's a, it's a crossing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about James Milner for a bit. Thirty-five years old, and I'm gonna he put my hands up. I think a couple of weeks ago, I was I was on the pod, kind of saying, you know, I'm a bit worried about James Milner this year. Obviously, you know, we all love him and everything like that. But it seemed like his legs were going. Yeah. But boy, did he just show us? I'm full of shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> how, how did you How did you find his performance, Robson?
2: um like like i just mentioned before i think they targeted him uh and i think at times it kind of worked on them they were getting like um quite a bit of access down uh like towards him but once it kind of the game kind of settled um i thought he was he was fantastic uh um i mean he's not trent alexander arnold but with some of the balls that he was playing and and like in general the way he was playing if I didn't know any better, I wouldn't have noticed like any difference. Um, it kind of like I sort of came up with this before. I think if you're familiar with the Pokemon Ditto, I think Nona is like the, uh, the perfect football equivalent of that. as where you can just kind of stick them in anywhere and you'll just mimic the person who, who was playing there before him. So you can put him in midfield and he'll do the job Henderson or Genie will do. If you put him at right back, he'll do the the Trent job. If you put him in goal, you probably do Ali's job better than Adrian could. So <laughs> I just think I just think it, like that was quite a good analogy to put out there is that Milner's just he's just the perfect shape-shifting footballer where you can put him anywhere on the pitch and it's reliable. It's mm. not like he becomes world class in all of them positions, but he does the job like regardless of where you put him in. I can't remember him ever having like a uh, extremely bad game especially like even when he's out of position it's all he always seems to to come up with a way of of performing and the fact that he's that he's 35 as well and doing it it's 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 just it's truly remarkable
0: yeah I think the best compliment that we can give to him was like I, I don't think I've seen one of our right backs control like control the game from right back uh, apart from Trent um, and, and he was, I don't feel like, basically, I don't feel like we lost no, I don't either, from yeah. right back the, with him there. Um, I think we just Leitron gained something Kater gets, Yeah. Later on, Keita obviously gets injured uh, and he moves into midfield. Um, Ryan, I guess this shows the the kind of, uh, obviously, like what Robson's talking about in terms of his flexibility. And especially this year, how important is, is, is James Milner going to be for Liverpool?
1: Yeah, um, I can't remember what moment it was in the match that I ended up saying this, but I was watching it with my brother and my dad, and I said to my dad, when one was on the screen, mm-hmm. if I was a young, if I was a young player at Liverpool, I'd just be following him everywhere, just mm-hmm. find out what what his habits are, what what his routine is, because whatever he's doing, he's doing some, he's doing something right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I when he, when he first um, signed for us, I was thinking, okay, he's. He's not young, he's getting gone. He'll be here for a couple of years just to see us through to our next stage in our progression as a club and then he'll be gone and we'll forget We'll forget about him. But it's absolutely incredible what he's doing, doing for us um, at his age, even regardless of his age. We're just putting him anywhere and we've almost come to just expect him to be playing at such a good level wherever he's playing. But mm-hmm. it's, when you think about it, it's actually ridiculous how he slots in and puts him man in the match every performances in any position, mm-hmm. uh, and I think this is the perfect season to highlight his importance. Given all the injury problems you've got in the squad right now, and um, he's just a very, a very well-headed person. Where things are going right, things are going wrong. You know, like Henderson, he'll he'll guide the play, the team, the players, and everybody through it. And something that's interesting is he's well, which happened last season, he's not, Liverpool's now the club that he's played the most games for. So, like people remember him as a Newcastle player, a Villa player, a City player. Yeah, but yeah. when it's all said and done for his career, he'll be remembered as a Liverpool player and probably a Liverpool great.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think he's going to go down in uh, in 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 history. Definitely. Um, would you guys say he's the best free signing of the Premier League era for Liverpool? Um, this question came up on Twitter yesterday. Um, I mean so, there's there's been shots of Gary McAllister, Babel. Um, is there what do you guys think?
2: So you've got you've got people like Gary Mack, like you mentioned. I sort of had a look into other free transfers uh when the question kind of came up. And uh, he has a list of people who, are, who he's kind of up against, uh, so he, he might be quite head and shoulders above, but I'll go through them. Um, I've got Fabio Aurelio, who is one of my favourite players as a kid. I absolutely loved him at left-back. I always have a thing for left-backs, but I absolutely loved Fabio Aurelio. that goes goal, against Chelsea and United are iconic, but uh, the fact that we released him and re-signed him is just mad. But... Um, yeah, he's obviously above him. The other one that I think is really interesting and time will tell, and I think we forgot about is Joel Matip, because oh, yeah. um, that guy is is phenomenal. And if he can keep, if we can get him, get a couple of seasons out of him where he's like doesn't have many injuries, especially this one, he could be rivaling him. And um, but yeah, then you've got you've got Colo who gave us a great chant in that extremely good video of all the players going up the um the stairs in. I don't know is it was Abu Dhabi or something like that where they're all yeah, singing the song yeah, so yeah. I mean that gives him something but I don't think he's quite on Milner's level you've got um the man myth the legend Andre Vornan um who's
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean uh, I don't think we need to put him into the comments uh,
2: and then you've got people like Joe Cole who is naff uh Danny Yings, who got eight million for um but who could have potentially what? been as impactful
0: Danny Yings was on a free
2: well, technically he was. I mean, he he was he he left um, Burnley on a free, but then yeah, I think we played like some sort of tribunal thing because yeah. if you're there a certain age, you you uh-huh. have to do that. But technically, he was. Because he a came free. through their academy, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And then uh, one last one is uh, Adrian, and yes, he's better than yeah. him. So uh, yeah, yeah. To, that. <laughs> so um, I think yeah, out uh, of uh, those those names, obviously Gary Max probably the closest. Joe Matty could rival it. Um And, yeah, Gary Macau won some incredible trophies and was very influential in helping Gerard become the player he was. Mm. Um, but having said that, he didn't win a Champions League and he didn't win a Premier League, and uh, James Mona has. So okay. I am going to put Mona above him, uh, just. But I love Gary Mac as well, so shout out to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've spoken about Gary McAllister on the Stephen Gerard part and how how important he was in terms of developing Gerard in that in that in that treble winning season. Um he's one of my favorite players like of Liverpool of all time. Um, yeah. especially that year. He was like he was absolutely immense. Um and even Gerard talks about his influence and they they're still working together up uh, up in Rangers. Uh, shout out Stephen Gerard doing an amazing job uh, at Rangers. But yeah, I think I think with uh, James Milner it's it's definitely gonna be he's definitely got a strong shout out for being the best Liverpool signing
1: of the Premier League era. Um, Ryan, what what do you think? Um, from what I remember of Liverpool, because I think I'm too young to get a um, good recollection of how well Gary McAllister did for us. Um, yeah, i I get it, I get it, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, just got a bad memory. <laughs> um, yeah, Milner is definitely number one for me. Mm. But I think the first... Free signing that I remember well was probably the running, and that says enough about what followed after. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I agree with Robson as well regarding Matip; he's got it in him, um, if his body allows him to to be up there with Milner in the conversation for who's the best in recent years. And hopefully he is in that conversation. But for now, it's definitely James Milner for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on from the the James Milner. Um, Loving, which which we don't mind, to be honest. Um, moving on to the second goal, um, we play some absolutely beautiful football. Uh, it's 30 passes um, before this goal goes in. Um, it spreads across the pitch from, from right to left by Jones. Um, Robertson takes out his man, and uh, it's a pitch of a cross for, for Jota to head in. Um, I want to talk to you, and I'm going to go to you with this, Ryan. I, I think that there's a bit of an injustice here for Klopp. I mean, people talk about pet Ball. They talk about you know all of these other managers. The Arteta Ball even come, comes into play as well, which I don't even know. Stuff. It's the know? same thing that
1: teacher Burnley. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Those ex-Gs are stinking, man. They're proper. Does <laughs> um, the style of football that get overlooked under Klopp? Like, if City had scored a goal like the one that we did yesterday, um, I'm sure it would have been you know, raved on about and how, you know, it's yeah. it's, it's revolutionising football.
1: Yeah, I do feel that like our football definitely does get overlooked because whenever I've had conversations with my friends and others about who plays the best football in the league, we're always just like, oh, but you're Liverpool. you, you, you just the Trent and Robertson show. There's not much to it. Um, hmm. But I definitely think that goal epitomised what people don't... I don't know if it's, if it's don't know or choose not to acknowledge about us because we do keep the ball a lot and play mm. a lot of passes throughout a game like I don't think people understand that you can't just give the ball to your fullbacks and they spam crosses for 90 minutes and you can get your way to a Champions League and Premier League title just by doing that if mm. we don't if we don't have passages to play like we had for that goal those spaces don't open up for the likes of Trent Robertson to receive the ball in wide areas and for the mm-hmm. forwards to make those runs and exploit spaces um, in the box to go on the end of those crosses.
0: Um, yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, elements of our play that people don't um, give us credit for. And I don't yeah. care, really. Just, they don't want to acknowledge it. That's their problem. I just, I love watching it. But I think yesterday was taking that a little bit further. Because with that goal, the 30 passes, I think um, from when I saw the replay of it, it was Curtis Jones who had a lot of the ball within those thirty passes, and yeah. what him and Cater did, even though Kater didn't re- receive the ball that often throughout that play, was they rotated within each other. Um, he was on the right, he was on the left a couple of times. And normally, when you have Fabinho, Wan alden left, Henderson right, it is categorically yeah, of middle, Wan alden left, Henderson right. There's not a lot of fluidity within those three, but um Henderson and uh I mean sorry Cater and jones they they're just their footballers love the ball on the floor playing it to feet and um I thought they did really well um mixing it up um throughout the whole first half and even when now we know he has got it in him he choose, he's not instructed to do it, but when you saw Cater and um Jones did it, he almost got the hint and started doing it himself too and I thought it mm-hmm. just, just a really good um, um half of football, obviously with cater coming off and anybody yeah. could have come off. And the whole um, rhythm goes, it's just one of those things in football, no matter who it, who it is that comes off and who it is that fills in, it's not a really to spread it to me on, it's just how it is. But that first half, I thought we did play really, really well.
0: Yeah, I'd definitely say that in terms of what you're saying, in terms of um, Jones and Keita kind of swapping their positions and being quite fluid in that sense, I think that really showed in the way that we played football. Even with this goal, um, I think it builds up a lot on the right. Um, but Jones was mainly working on the left and he picks it up on the right hand side uh, and makes that big switch that we we do um, over to Robertson and when you're talking about the style of play and and what we do it's not just about spamming in crosses and giving it to your fullback that whole thing of building up on one side and then switching it and creating that space is that's you know that's a tactic that's the way that you you, you're able to have that space for that cross and, and and these kind of things I'm going to come to you on this Robson in obviously gets to robertson he he completely does uh all brighton i think he is um and it's a peach of a cross um and you know obviously we want to talk a little bit about the cross and how beautiful it is but at the same time um there's this conversation that was happening on twitter over the last few weeks about who the best left back is in in the world and there's there's been names like chilwell Tierney, uh, davis all these really like like I feel so offended when I hear those names because I'm just like, are you watching? our Scottish re- left back at the moment, or, or or are you just blind? Uh, I mean, yeah. But
2: having said that, I also seen another comparison which I will talk about. Is it's actually cool. Um, mm. I, I I like the as I mentioned before, like I've always loved left back. It's a position that fascinates. So I, I see myself as a bit of a left back connoisseur, if you will. Um, <laughs> it's and good like to know like, like Risa was like uh it was like one of my favorite players as a kid absolutely love John Arisa but um so in this conversation I think um I'm gonna ignore some of the silly names that you mentioned because we don't even want to give that airtime because it's just ridiculous um he's miles ahead of Kieran Turney as a reason he's Scottish uh Scotland's captain um but the only sort of comparison I can actually give is Alphonso Davies because he is like tremendous he's in getting up Mm -hmm. to the same bracket um so yeah I mean them two I think will be the top two left backs in the world for the next sort of 10 years to come. Yeah. Um and I think that's I think why my point
0: is, is, my point with Davies is he's, he's only been good for maybe the last year or so he's come on the scene. Yeah, Robertson's true. been doing this for a while. Which is why I would
2: have Robertson ahead of him at this moment. I think Davies has got the uh, got the potential. Um but in terms of of um, sort of Robertson and and left backs from years gone by, I think it's it's hard to, to talk about because um, the games evolved so much. So like Ashley Cole was the perfect left back at the time, um, at, for like all the formations and the way people play in the Premier League and everything like that. Um, and now Robertson is the perfect left back in world football for the way that top teams play now, Uh it's all all through the fullbacks. Um, so. Yeah, I mean Robertson, how anyone can watch I think it's just this like whole thing about how people just don't like Liverpool in general. They're a bit jealous. Mm. Um but Robertson is, is head and shoulders above every other left back in the league. I'm, uh, Chilwell, uh this conversation between them two, it's a it's a no go for me. I, I don't see it. I literally don't see it. I don't see how people can can even consider the two being in the same bracket um mm. but i mean i think that that's the same with trent but it's funny like earlier it was talked about that uh where all the trent and robo show but then apparently they're not very good well we won the league last year so if it's the trent and robo show and they're not very
0: good then how, how did we win the league it's it, yeah you know, exactly like... i think it's i think it's absolutely ridiculous how a lot of our players get that kind of uh, i don't know i think it's just because it's Liverpool, it's Chelsea. Um, it's it is because
2: it's the same way that everyone hated United players back in the day when they were uh, on top of the world, but now they're living
0: in the history books, and we're the ones on top. Yeah, it's it's nice to be on top. Um, it ends up being Jota who puts it in the back of the net. Um, that's the he's the first player to score in his first home, four home games at Anfield. Um, Ryan, I'm going to come to you on this. How amazing of a signing has he been? Uh, I think not just in terms of him getting his goal, which is which I think is kind of standard now, but I think one of the things um, that was really good to see was that we've seen that he struggled on the right recently, um, just a little bit like to get into the game. He's not being dreadful, but he's just not as effective. Um, I feel like yesterday it was like like he's learned how to play there and what to do and and the runs to kind of make. And and that kind of gives you a lot of hope in terms of his, his game intelligence.
1: Yeah. Um, it's something I spoke about on one of our previous podcast when we, f- we first saw Jota on the right and he didn't really impress. Mm. And I was saying Mane arrived as a right winger and he turned into the best left winger in the world. Um, yeah. I'm not really too fussed about what side they choose to play Jota on because on one hand, the, this is the club that's made one of the best front threes in the well, top five front three in, of the 21st century. And so they clearly must know what they're doing with these players. And Jota's quality-wise, and I think Pep Linder's even said, technically he's on the same level as the other the rest of the front three. So he's got it in him, no matter what side we put him on, to play to a really, really good level. So, yeah, he's just starting to show how, just, how quality of a footballer he is. And I've got a bit of a running debate with one of my friends who's a Chelsea fan who thinks that Timo Werner's the better signing uh, so it'll be interesting to see bad. how that goes because that's something that a lot of our fans are doing now because he's seen us almost the alternative to Timo Werner but I think he, he's really good and I think he saved us in the future about 100 million um, in replacing one of the front three because I think he'll be here for a, a very long time scoring a lot of goals I think that Timo Werner
0: um, comparison is quite interesting because um, obviously it was thought of that he was the first choice and, and we were strongly linked. Um, Klopp's talk, spoken about him, you know, he spoke about us, all of that kind of stuff. But the interesting thing is, and and I'm, I'm not just saying this from hindsight, I think, um, you know, when we were linked to Jota, it, it just makes more sense. Um, and with Werner, it, I, I think he's going to do well. He's going to do fantastic at Chelsea. Um, but he's a very different kind of player. He's very, um, he's very, he's, he's more effective than than the middle. Um, he plays off the last man. I'm not sure if he's as strong in terms of his back to goal um, and kind of link up play, all of that kind of stuff. He's very much the making those runs off the last man. And he's really good at that. Um, I, I just think it's a better fit. But, but, it's going to be an interesting one to see how the season goes because I, I think that Werner started off quite well for Chelsea, um, considering it's a new league. Um, yeah. His numbers are, are quite decent. He did well over the weekend, that, that run that he did. So um, it's going to be an interesting one for sure.
1: Yeah, I made, um, yeah, um, I released a comp recently um, with Simikas, Tiago, and Jota in it. And the clips that I saw when I was collecting them for Jota. Quite a few of his goals for Wolves was very, very good link-up play with Jimenez, where they were just playing one twos and then Jota would spin into the box um, and um, finish it off, which I th- epitomizes why, like you said, he's a better fit for us. Because uh, I think not not Julian Nagelsmann even said it in the Champions League after Timo Werner left when they beat Atletico that it was a game where even though they didn't have Timo Werner, who was arguably their best player over the last two or three years. Um, the game wouldn't have suited him because they play a very low block and he needs space to run in behind or else he's not very effective for them. And that's something that I think Jota is very good at because, well from those clips at least, the interplay of Jimenez, which he's, Jimenez can be seen as a similar player to Firmino in terms of a number nine that likes to drop deep and receive the ball and um, link up the attack. Mm. Which um I think bodes well for the future, because a lot of the talk about Jota right now is he'll he can replace Firmino, who's not playing so well, but like we saw at times yesterday too, if we got them both in the same lineup, we can get a lot of good things out of them both
0: yeah, definitely I think um with Jota as well, the other thing that I wanted to mention was. Like, obviously, with his numbers at Wolves and, and some of the things that Wolves fans were saying about him uh, when when they sold him to us, um, it's quite interesting how, how he's kind of, you know, I think it kind of shows how a player like him moving to a club like Liverpool, um, it kind of shows how how playing at Liverpool can just un- unleash someone and, and unleash them in that sense, in the way that they play, all of that kind of stuff. Um, even though he was struggling for numbers last year,
2: yeah, I, I think that that that's very telling. Um I think the signs of them being there, um, like and coming to Liverpool have been there for a while, kind of thing. Like you could tell that he was such a good um that he would be such a good fit in this team that you kind of just knew that we would be looking at him. Um so when then rumours came out I wasn't very surprised. And I just kinda I, I knew that he would do well. I was I was very excited. It was similar uh, for me for for like when we signed Robertson as well. Uh you could see that all the um the sort of tools were there for him, to, but he he couldn't really do it at all. Um, so when he came to us, it was like, oh, you'll be unleashed, and it, of course, what happens happened. Um, I mean, I have no doubt that if Werner had come on, he would have been good, like he's, he he would have mm. been. Um mm, but it, but he would have been a different kind of of good for us. I think we would have changed him a bit of a, as a player. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, whether he, he would have been—I don't think he could have been as good as Jota, because I, I think asking asking that of him would have been a bit too much. I don't think any of us expected this from Jota, even if we did expect that he would be that good. Um, I mean, the fact that he's the first person to do that in the league, um, first four home games is just it, that. Like stuff like this keeps happening to us, and I don't think we any of us have kind of picked up on how lucky mm. we are. Like we've broke that record for. Um, for the amount of league home games, we've just broke this one. Silas broke many over the past few years. Um, we broke like points records. And stuff. this stuff's not going to stay around forever, and these things aren't going to keep happening forever. But the fact that they're all happening in this such such a short period of time proves how how good this team is and how good this squad is, and and that like it is one of the best teams in Premier League history.
1: Yes, I, think I saw I saw a tweet earlier about um, Why Nwankwo breaking the record. Or hmm. the amount of wins in his first 200 games and someone said yeah exactly is is there anybody in our squad that hasn't broke some sort of record yeah. since cops arrived because it is very true we have got so many quality players over the years and the things they're doing is absolutely incredible
0: and uh,
2: that one especially stands out to me sorry uh it's just because okay. like doesn't that mean that a lot of our players are going to creep up on that lesson it's basically going yeah, to be a list of our first 11 because like yeah. when they all reach 200 games, it's going to be possibly higher. Because now them lost like quite a few games in his first like his first yeah. season, I think. First
1: well, two seasons, even.
2: Yeah, first two seasons. Yeah. So when you think about when Salah and Mane and um, these other players reached that level, then God, they, they'll be right up I, on that list. I think people. Mane joined with one
0: of them. Yeah, definitely. I think it was a year later, wasn't it? If I remember That's correctly.
1: The funny one will be when if Nabi Keita ever gets that far because he only seems to start whenever we win or draw. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. He the games, 20 wins. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. And just a side note on that with the one thing. Shout out to Charlie. Um Charlie, one of our podcast members. So <laughs> <laughs> that 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 um that statistic is, is definitely um catered for him and uh, for him only. <laughs> um, moving on to the third goal. Um Bobby, Bobby has a really good game, I thought, I thought, I think that the, the goal is just a plus, like, to, to the fact that he, he played really, really well, um, I felt like we saw Bobby of old getting into those spaces, his passing was a bit sharper, um, and stuff, and, you know, we've, we've given him a lot of criticism, even on here, um, not criticism, but, you know, talking about his form, it it hasn't been the best recently, um, Robson, how happy were you for Bobby to get his goal?
2: I was honestly, I was over the moon. I like, I celebrated as if, as if it was a winner. Um, and I think, like I, I mentioned last time, about how I thought y- there was signs that he was coming back to form in the last game, and I got a bit of stick for it on Twitter. Um, mm. And then. I think with yesterday's performance, uh, I mentioned in a previous pod about that his flair had just totally gone and I think you could see it. It was back yesterday. He was just doing things like the way he was moving the ball around and stuff. He just seemed to have a little bit more confidence. Um, and I mean, I think if he wasn't in this like so-called like bad form that he's in at the moment, we would have been hailing that performance yesterday as like, one of his top performances and raving about it on Twitter. But because it's coming yeah. a time where he's in a bit of bad form, it's been like, oh, um like it just hasn't been talked about as much. And then obviously he missed that chance, which yes was annoying and stuff like that. But I think it before he got that goal, it was blown out of proportion on Twitter because I, I've seen Manny do that, I've seen Salah do that, I've yeah. seen loads of players do that. It was so unlucky. It hit the post and then it came back off him. And then it doesn't go in because of one centimeter and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's at that point where you think, "Oh my god!" And he must have been thinking exactly the same. This is never going to fall for us. Two minutes later, he jumps up with an absolute bullet header into the bottom corner, and you're like, "Right, he's back." And the fact yeah. that you've seen all the team go and surround him, they clearly know, and I think he knows that fans have been getting on his back, even despite them not being in the in the stadium. And um, it just it was so heartwarming to see, and it filled me with so much happiness. And I think it made the game like so much sweeter um mm-hmm. i think it could have came on here and i would have been like not being as carried away as i have been but seeing bobby score that and it was kind of like all oh, right now bobby means business as well mm-hmm. we're we're going to win this league he's back and i think it's also telling that there was only three of the front four on the pitch um mm-hmm. like i've said so many times, I, I believe that's the way forward. And when we can, we should only play three out of the four. We didn't miss Salah one bit yesterday. I didn't think, and that's got nothing mm-hmm. against Salah. I just don't think we even. I, I didn't even cross my mind throughout the game that he wasn't playing. And that's mm-hmm. credit to the front three that were there.
0: right Ryan, how do you? How important do you think um Bobby's going to be if we, if if we now? Let's you know. Obviously, everyone else. I think one of the things that Robson's kind of alluding to is the fact that. Um. Everything was going really, really well yesterday, I and mean, then Bobby getting that goal, I feel like it was the icing on the cake. Um, in that sense, like it just meant like okay, now even this, even this kind of issue is looking like it's it's kind of going away. How important can it be if you get, you know, the old Bobby back uh, and and performing to that high level?
1: Yeah, definitely, especially with the, the injury worries you have now, where mm. if we do have to delve even deeper into the squad having players like that back to their best form might be really, really important going forward. And um, I also, I thought he did play really, really well. Apart from, there was only one pass that he misplaced in the first half, made me think, oh God, but that was only because of, has been playing recently. It stood out a bit more than it should have um, to me, but he did play really, really well. And um, it was one of those things that we see with a lot of our players and the reception they get on Twitter. They're having a really (laughs) crap game, apparently. And the second they score, it's suddenly a really, really good performance by a lot of people. Um, but I did think he played really, really well. And that chance, that was apparently one centimetre away from going in. But after seeing the the, the bird's eye view of it, it was one centimetre is definitely too much. It was much shorter I thought, than that. I yeah, I, I, I couldn't even tell what, what part of the ball wasn't over the line. Um mm-hmm. I, um, without having to <laughs> zoom in about a few hundred times, um, but yeah, he, I, I was really impressed of him. And like the one, the only criticism I had of him was not his goal scoring was um, his just general his first touch, his link up play, his passes and stuff. And that's what I saw back in him um, yesterday, which mm-hmm. was really really pleasing for me because that's one of those things where it's not a oh. The goal's gonna go in and suddenly you'll be scoring every week again. It's uh, it's probably a mental thing, like just like the ball coming to you. Do you put your touch is gonna to be heavy or not today? And you might be overthinking it, but now um I think he is back and like the goal just give him more confidence with his all-round play generally, I think. Um so yeah, really promising signs. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I think even with that
1: chance that he hits the post, um, he does really well to make that chance as
0: well, um, which people seem to forget, even though a lot of people kind of had had some issues. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the, like, as you said at the beginning of the show, I think there was, like, there's a case for everyone being man of the match (laughs) and stuff. So um, I thought um, Fabinho and Matip were absolutely amazing. Um, You know, they keep Vardy in their pocket. Like, I think one of the things I wanted to ask you guys is, is Fabinho the best defender in the league right now? Yes.
2: I don't know anyone else who's performing at that level other than the person playing next to him, <laughs> Joe Matty. Uh, but, I mean, I can only say this out of the fact that I I don't watch every other Premier League game. But, um, I mean, someone tell me, someone who's playing better than him at the moment... This is this is a man who's who's pocketed Werner and Vardy already this season. Players who have caused other teams loads of hassle, um, and this this is a man who in the past has pocketed uh, Robert Lewandowski as well. And I think it's interesting that it is that same partnership um, between uh, Matip and Fabinho that's doing so well. It's also the same partnership that handled Bayern Munich so well a few seasons ago. Hmm. Um, yeah, like. He's, if he's not the best, he's he's up there with the best, he's absolutely phenomenal, yeah. he's another really, really versatile player, I kind of like Milner when you think he can go forward, he can go to the right um, and yeah we've, we've just got so many good players at at the moment that um, some performances sometimes go under the radar, but Fabinho's one that definitely shouldn't, because he's thrown in in a place that's not his natural position, but he's absolutely nailing it
0: Yeah Ryan, I'm, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to—I I always come to you. All things Nabi and we've—we've uh-huh. we've touched on his performance so far. Um, I think—I think it's—it's think it's good to talk about, and I think Lewis actually asked a question about what you think about his performance, so I'm going to ask it here instead of at the end. Um, okay. Obviously, it's a brilliant performance. I, I think he was. You know, when he was on the pitch, I think he was definitely in the running for Man of the Match. His energy levels were amazing. He's, his press was brilliant. His passing, everything like that was, was absolutely great. And obviously, it's just a shame that he goes off again. And you kind just, of just like, this is the frustration with him. If he was shit, it'd be a lot easier to kind of just be like, all right, fair enough. He's gone off. He's shit. But when he plays, he plays really, really, really well. And we play really, really, really well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because going into the game, I was just thinking, um, I just hope he plays how he normally plays because I know and most local fans know he does play well a lot of the time when he plays. Mm. And the people that have been giving him most of the stick will probably be like, oh, wow, yeah, Kate played well today, when it's really... That's just how he plays. There's nothing special about it. That's like yesterday's game. I think that's, that was probably an average game for him in the grand scheme of things in mm. terms of what he shows because... Going forward, he was great. Going um, the other way, I think there was a lot to improve on because I think he got jibbled past a few times and his tackles weren't great. great personally, which surprised me because normally Kater does do well, tra- um, maybe not tracking back, but getting those tackles in and stopping the um, counter-attacks and such. But yeah, it was, it was very um, promising up to a point until he comes off and then it's not promising anymore. It's just, okay, but now we need to start again and get him back whenever he does come back.
0: Yeah, definitely. And hopefully it's it's not out for, for too long. We're definitely going to need him for for the rest of the, the, the season. Um, we're going to move on to um, the end of the game where Jurgen Klopp speaks to D'Antio Talk's friend, Jeff Shreves, who was on hmm. uh, one of our, hmm. our pods last week and he voices his concerns again on the scheduling um sky decides not even to broadcast this uh, and you know jeff tries to tell him it's not just about scheduling but the clubs who need to voice their opinion um uh, when it comes to the the votes and uh, and these kind of things um it's become an issue that's been rambling on since the beginning of of the of the season there there's two things to it there's there's the Premier League's decision to not go to five subs, even though the rest of Europe are doing it, and even the EFL um, have implemented it as well. Um, there's another side of it is scheduling um, when we're having games that are being played on Wednesday. So Liverpool, for example, are playing on Wednesday in the Champions League, um, and then we're playing on Saturday at 12:30 in uh, against Brighton, uh, which is something that he mentions. He actually even mentions about how. Um he's thinking about giving the points to Brighton, but I, I doubt he's gonna do that. Um Robson, did you um I'm, I'm sure you saw the, the rant that yeah. that's related. Um what are your thoughts about this this rant against broadcasters?
2: It's it's interesting because I'd I'd noticed it before um the game yesterday that we were half the half twelve kickoff next week and I just kind of really anticipated that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um that cop would have something to say about it. Um I think um like I I I I want to stress that it's not a selfish agenda, if you know what I mean. Like mm. I feel like Klopp ranting about it. He's not ranting about it because our oh, Liverpool are being hard done by it. He's ranting about it because all of the teams in the Champions League are being hard done by it. Um we're playing we played late last night for some reason. And then we played late on Wednesday and then really early on Saturday. Now the game after that we played late on Tuesday night. So really what should have happened is we should have played um midday yesterday and then mm um obviously played wednesday night and then probably played the late game on saturday and then mm. we have the game on the game against ajax next tuesday um mm. so the fact that they've put us on early which klopp spoke about so many times is that the difference between playing early on a saturday and playing late is is huge um mm. we're gonna have basically no probably no time to train um maybe one session it'll be so it'll be there on wednesday night flight back on thursday train on friday but then you've got you're up early the next morning and i know Klopp has that whole thing about the break how breakfast has changed and stuff like that Mm. and it's just it's just a nightmare and um yeah i mean it's he's gonna keep being vocal about it until it gets changed so again, this is like i don't know what third time he's mentioned it now it's gonna be we're gonna be getting into a tens of times if, if they don't change it soon especially when it comes to to sort of christmas um I know it, it's not being helped by the fact that Champions League is, is being played like every single week. Um, but mm. that's just kind of the... That's the season that we're playing at the moment. Um, so I do understand it's not entirely Sky's fault. And then you've got the problem of that we need to be on te- television to be watched. And there's only so many slots. And then there's probably other teams that'll that'll play later on that'll... I, I don't know what the late game is next Saturday, but it's probably a Champions League team, I imagine. Mm. Um, and it's just one week, one of them teams is going to be screwed over so much. And the fact that we can't have the five subs and the fact that we've got so many injuries already, picked up one yesterday, play Wednesday night. um, And then if we pick up an injury then, there's absolutely no recovery time. That player or players will miss Saturday. Um, And trying to get players back, I think this is what the big struggle is. Like we've seen Thiago be out for so long and so many games because... You don't wanna be forcing players back too soon because we're so many games coming up that if you do then they get injured Then they'll work for that meant like especially coming up with December, they're gonna miss close to fifteen games. And it's it's just really, I think it's it's hard for everyone and I do like yeah. I, I do kind of understand that Sky and BT are going well I don't know how I really don't know how it works. I know that uh Jeff mentioned that it's kind of something to do with the club as well, that they have to not accept those games. Yeah, we had
0: uh, we had Des Kelly and Jeff Shreve's yeah. um, last week with the Anfield talk. Um, Ryan, you were the one who who you've hosted both of those interviews. You spoke to them. They mentioned how the managers could be speaking to the owners and other managers um, to vote for the changes. Um, where do you think the blame lies with all of this?
1: Yeah, I was I was telling my brother about this. I'm just really confused. Even more, the more the managers complain about it, because so from what I understand the Um, The owners or the director of football, whoever makes decisions at a club, their representative, when they meet with the Premier League, they're the Mm -hmm. ones that get informed about what the fixture schedule is planned to be and they they must have agreed for it to be like this. But then I guess there might be a secondary part where the broadcasters are the ones that say, like for example, BT might have the rights to um, a Liverpool game that month so they would, they'll decide okay so we've got Liverpool v Brighton um, and the thing is broad this is something else that I'm not too sure about is how the, the kick-off times are um, chosen because obviously BT have a set, mm-hmm. set time every week Sky have a set time every week so if your game's on BT you're only going to be on there at this specific time so, yeah, there might be the clubs are saying, okay, yeah, we're happy with playing this fixture midweek and this fixture on the weekend. But then it comes to the broadcasters who are saying, we're going to uh, have this game on Saturday morning and that game on Sunday evening, where that's, got, that's out of the Premier League's hands now. That's between the broadcasters to make their decisions. So, maybe I'm completely wrong by it. I don't know. But yeah, I'm just very confused by the- Lit- listening to what.
0: Listening to what Clark is saying, uh, I think there's two issues there's, uh, and I think it's important to kind of maybe separate them. There's one about the five substitution rule and then there's one about the scheduling. So when we talk to when we talk to Jeff and Des about the, the, the five substitution rule, um, I think they mentioned about how it's, it's like it's important to speak out about it. They were very happy for Ali Gunnar to talk about it and they were supporting the fact that um, the substitutions uh, should be should be able to be made in terms of the five players uh, being able to make to, to protect the, the, the players considering all of the scheduling. Um, the point that they made was that that needs to be addressed with the other Premier League managers, the other Premier League clubs, because obviously it feels like Obviously, the top teams that are playing in, the, in Europe are voting for it, whereas the other 14 clubs or so um, are not voting for it. Um, and there's an issue here in regards to people talk about um, you know, the five uh, sub rule being beneficial to to only the big clubs. But nobody talks about the fact that it's the big clubs that have to play, you know, potentially three times a week. Um, and, you know, some of the small clubs sometimes only play once a week or maximum twice a week, uh, depending on when their fixtures are um, for the weekend. Um, so there's, you know, so there's this whole idea that they're, they're so benevolent and these kind of things, but they're, they're out for their own reasoning. And, and they were out for their own reasons in terms of their own kind of thinking when it came to, you know, voting for uh, whether we volu- uh, null avoid last season. So to, yeah. to make it out like there's some sort of benevolent kind of, you know, group of teams, it, it's just not the case. They're just looking out for their own um, kind of interests uh, at the end of the day. Uh, and, and this goes back a little bit to the argument that was put forward in the big picture, you know, our own owner, uh, John Henry with Man United, uh, their owners put it forward about how, with with how it works with the big clubs um you know they they've been in the premier league for for many many years um they bring in a lot of the income um and they wanted to release some of those funds to trickle down into the 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 smaller clubs the efl all of these places that's struggling right now um in exchange for that influence and um I, th- I think everybody got benevolent with the whole with the whole thing in regards to how how it kinda of came across, how it's trying to hijack the game, all of these kind of things. But you know, all of those low league clubs, they voted for it. Um and people talk about the clubs having the big clubs having their own interests at heart when it came to it. But at the same time, those smaller clubs, they just have their own interests at heart. Um I... the the point of scheduling, I guess, one of the things that Klopp keeps mentioning is the fact that the contracts are not being able to change. So he's saying that when we talk about changing the contracts, they were made before covid-19 and they've not been adjusted which which is a joke if that is true um but nobody's really questioning him on that or, or anything like that
2: i hate this whole um notion that you should be punished for being successful like we're a big club for a reason um and it's because like we're we're, being, we're successful you shouldn't be then punished and it's not what these this five subs rule i think it gets blown out of proportion a bit People think that every week Klopp's just going to go ride five subs on. Like it, it it's not going to do that. It's there for when, say, say you've made your three subs and you get an injury because of the fixture injection. You can then make that other sub, and bring off that injured player and bring someone on rather than going down to ten men. Because in that sense, you're being punished because of the fixture congestion and that it's taken its toll on the players. We've seen Klopp only make two substitutions against City. I think Pep only made one. And that's what it's being that's what it wants to be introduced for. So that just if players are getting really retired and you need to make more and free subs, then it's it's there if it's needed. It's not like it's going to be used week in, week out. We don't have the squad to do that anyway. There's not a chance we could have brought five players on from uh, on yesterday's game. And I don't think Klopp would have risked it either because changing, yeah. t- change, making five changes is, is like, and expecting someone to do that every week is ridiculous. And, and it's just unrealistic. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is infuriating. And I can kind of, under, I can just, you kind of feel for Klopp because he's got this big job of trying to retain the title. And it's each week; it's becoming more and more impossible for him. Despite the fact that we're still like the man's a genius and how it's worked out because his coaching's so good, Um, and that we've handled it so well. And I think he's kind of a victim of his own success. And that, right? Um, If we'd been dropping sort of loads more points, then he'd probably have more of a case. But because we we haven't got it and we're still winning every week, it's kind of like, oh, well, nothing's changed. Um, So it, it 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 just kind of sucks. Like, what has it got to take for us to? to get this five substitutions rule in, especially considering all these um, other leagues are doing it. And on the point about the big picture as well, all these smaller clubs that are voting against it, it it'll come back to bite them on the arse when they they do a Sunderland and end up being in League 2, League uh, League 1 in a few years. And they don't have this money coming down from the Premier League. I'm sure they'll regret not voting for it then. So it's just, it's just what... It's just one of them where it's like, again you kind of like all these smaller clubs are a bit jealous that we've got so much um, success and I, I guess they, they can I understand that they might seem bullied in a way but like that's not our problem. Um, they
0: should I don't know invest better and in, yeah, um, I think it I think it all works hand in hand as well. If you look at the scheduling issue, that's pretty much a broadcasting issue. Yeah, uh, and then it, it's something that affects your product, what you're trying to sell here. Like for example, I mean, we have a few more days to train after the international break, and I think that shows yesterday in our performance in how we play, in the quality of the game. Um, the quality of the game is very important in terms of the product of the Premier League. If it's the case that we're playing every two days, um, the football is not going to be great because we need to win three points, and you can't do you can't put all of that energy into a game, play football week in week out every game yeah. if there's not enough space between the games, and that's going to lead to more games. You that can guarantee. How we played against how we played against Sheffield United, how we played against West Ham, where it was more about getting the three points and and kind of conserving the energy because that's what you have to do when it comes to winning a title you can
2: absolutely sorry, you can absolutely guarantee that next week's game will be um it'll it'll not be like yesterday's it'll be a scrappy kind of two one win or something like that because we've played Wednesday night and it's and we haven't just haven't got the players anymore to to do it um I mean we'll come on to what I think the team will be in a bit, I think um. And of course, like you can you can change things up, but you can't change things up too much because we literally don't have the players to change it up that much. It's um, it is becoming a struggle. We just kind of need to hope <laughs> as we keep saying that we don't get any more injuries, but we just kind of know
0: it will happen. Yeah. OK, cool. We're going to come back um, after the break for the go through the Atlanta game and answer a couple of questions. Okay, and we're back. Um, we're going to be talking about the Atlanta game coming up on Wednesday. Um, it's been three wins out of three for the Reds in the Champions League. Last time we were out in the Champions League, we played Atlanta away. We absolutely battered them. Um, obviously, Jota gets his hat-trick, really announces himself. Um, we don't expect Thiago to be fit for this. Um, Ryan, I'm going to come to you on this. Um, how do you think we approach the Champions League now with all of the injuries that we've had? Um, do we do we look like we're gonna we're gonna rest a lot of our players? I mean, one point should really seal the qualification now. So I mean, we should get that from the next three games, no matter what what happens. Um, how do you think that Klopp's gonna approach this game?
1: Um, I think we might have to see some big rotation. It's not something that I wanted um, mm. ideally because um, in the last couple of years we've had our Champions League games go down to the lo- the group. Sorry go down to the last game to ensure qualification, which isn't the best of ways to go about it. And I'm sure given the choice club would like to get it done as soon as possible. But given the context of these two games, oh, oh, sorry, the three games remaining, the first two, so uh, first we have Atalanta and then Ajax is next. Mm. That's really big games for both of those clubs because it's essentially must-wins for them, for them to see who's going to come second. In our yeah, group, yeah, yeah. because as it stands, we're the runaway winners. But there, there's, there's, there's only half the group done and they'll be coming to, to win those games, which now looking at that, um, I think we can't really risk our well a lot of our best players because there'll be high intensity games. And if there is a game to kind of rest your players' for and save the easy one it would i think the michelin game would be the easy one in inverted commas even though they probably gave us the toughest game of the group so far
0: um so
1: yeah i think we'll just have to go into it um looking how each player is feeling the day before i guess and then taking it from there who klopp thinks okay you um you're a young player You. you 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 can cope with a With a small, tough period, and then have your rest afterwards. We'll throw Jones in, Nico in, and uh, Rob, what Genie, you've had probably like two games a week since 2017. Um, I'll rest you now that I've got the opportunity to. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just a case of um, taking it game by game and um, what Klopp thinks will be the most smartest players to rest at the time. Yeah,
0: I think one of the things um, before before the Leicester game, um, I think I tweeted it, but um, it was, I, was, I was happy to have club football back. But one of the things I was worried about was another injury happening. And Lord behold, we had another injury, Kato being out with a hamstring injury. Um, Robson, how, how do you think we should approach it? Um, you know, do you think that we should try and win this game and, and kind of seal qualification and then rest in the next two? Or, or is it the case of rotating now? Um,
2: well, I think I think we will obviously try and rotate, um, but I think a lot of that comes. Uh, well, I was going to say further up the pitch, but pro- probably not. There is a bit. Of, I-, I think we'll go um, Ali in goal, Nico right back, um, Fabinho and Williams if Williams is fit um, at um, at centre half, uh, to Simkus at, at left back, um, Jones, Monadi, Genie in midfield, and then I've got. I had Jota, uh, Minamino and Origi up front, but then I think with Salah now being sort of back available and obviously we just played at the weekend, we might play Salah and let Jota have a rest um, and then get Salah back up to fitness and then we'll see what will happen on Saturday. So I think it'll be between one of them two. Um, But yeah, I think like obviously that's got mad rotation from the game that we just played and obviously it's a Champions League game, but um, I still think there's enough there to to win and will obviously be able to bring players off the bench as well. With it being at home as well, that's also obviously a big a big plus. Um, not too much traveling, so yeah. I mean, that's what I've gone for. Um, but would, I don't know. If...
0: Would you Would you argue with any of those?
1: Um, no, it's, it's it's difficult, but um, to predict a team at this stage. But I can't really argue with any of those selections. Um, I think he'll Cass-
2: give Mike the rest.
1: <laughs> yeah, out of out of. That's see, that's just one of the things I'm not sure about in regards to Fabinho and Matip then, because has only just come back to fitness. Yeah. So I guess it's a case of them knowing more than us, is he ready for two games within five days, four days or however many days it is? And um do we risk Matip playing more than once a week at this stage of his I guess we could still we could probably even still call it a recovery period because him, him yeah, himself suddenly yeah. come back a few weeks ago so yeah yeah it's it's think, tough yeah for <laughs>
0: me I, for me I'd I'd put Fabinho in rather than Matip um, I think Matip's like made a glass um, yes. Fabinho was a bit more sturdier um, yeah. like you said they both kind of come back from injury recently um, plus Fabinho never went you know on international duty or anything like that so hopefully he's in a better place obviously ideally you'd want another defender in there to take both of their places but if you're gonna play one of them, I, I I'd definitely go with Fabinho.
2: Right, what do you think about Jotter and Salah though? Do you think Salah might be in, might play, or do you think they'll leave until the weekend?
1: I I, I I think he'll play because the Champions League, we've got the luxury of higher substitutions, don't we? So oh, yeah, if it's just the first half or just the second half, I'm I'm, I'm sure, um, given the guidelines, what's allowed, um, assuming he is allowed, I think we will definitely get at least half a game.
0: Yeah, we're hoping that there might be a few other players back. Maybe we might see Ox as well. Um, I know that he's quite close. Klopp said he was close before the Leicester game, um, but he wasn't on the bench. So hopefully he'll be back as well. Um, before we move on... Yeah, sorry, Kerry.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, and there's still no official word. We're assuming he's out for a few weeks, but there's still the smallest chance Kater could be available even if it's just for the bench. But yeah, yeah, it's just another one of those. If you
0: want yeah, to. it hasn't been released yet. Whether it was like a strain or 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 anything like that. Um, so hopefully. I can never tell whether that's worrying or not.
1: Yeah, same because there's different grades. There's some some of them take a few days. Some of them take a few weeks. So I was just just waiting for the official news. I guess.
0: Yeah, hopefully we can get some good news because um, we definitely need uh, Naby. Um, so before we wrap this up. Um, any predictions from you guys in terms of the, the scores? I'll go 1-0, I think.
2: Um, hmm. A bit more of a tight game. I think they'll have chances.
0: We'll sneak it.
2: I I, I fancy Curtis Jones to score, honestly. I think 1-0 Curtis Jones is probably my prediction.
0: What about you, Ryan? What are you thinking?
1: I was going to go 2-1 to Atalanta, but but we are Liverpool and I can't see us losing. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go 2-2 because we didn't see it much in the first game, but they do have quality firepower when they're on it. And yeah. I think ilicic didn't play that game, but he played on the weekend, so he could be playing too and he was arguably their best player last season. So we've got that to come up against too. So it will be tougher. It won't be another 5-0. I, I'm, yeah
0: i'm going with 2-2 okay i I was actually going to say 2-2 but uh, as you've taken it i'm going to say 3-2 and be a bit more of a top right here and be a Uh bit more positive and stuff um we'll be a a winner as always yeah jota winner actually i'm going to (laughs) say salah winner all right okay Yeah, Salawina, because of everything that's happened recently as well Um, and stuff, yeah. Um, Before we go, um, I want to shout out to Joe, our editor, who's been working really, really hard behind the scenes to get all of the content out. Um, Big up Joe all the time. He's been doing some hard work and uh, he's kind of behind the scenes. So it's really important that everybody kind of uh, acknowledges his work. Um, But he also wanted us to discuss how most of our corners don't make it over the first month. So I'm going to leave that to you guys. I had,
2: yeah, I mean it is something that annoys me, but then I'm sure we've been we've scored the most from set pieces out of anyone, uh, from corners especially out of anyone over the past couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. It is it, it it does either seem to be it hits the first man or we score. Um, it, I I get it. It, it's, it's just the it's nature just, of corners, though, isn't it? It's like yeah, it's, it's a very a precise it. thing. I always found taking corners when I played football was like the hardest thing to do. Like I, to to whip a good ball in from that angle at a corner, I always found it really hard. So that uh, the professional footballers, I shouldn't, but I I, I do
0: sympathise with them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yesterday we scored from two corners, so exactly. Yeah, it's a bit of a bad time to be talking about that, right? Ryan, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it's not as easy as people give it credit for, but when you're a professional footballer, you do, or at least for us live watching them, you do finish with hitting on the money almost every single time. But yeah, like you said, after yesterday, Milner's, Milner was quality with them. So worst case, just bring Milner on to take them.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's one year, 13-14, We were actually really brilliant at corners. We were getting like loads of goals from corners. Yeah. Uh, Skirtle, Skirtle got seven goals that season, didn't he? Yeah, that's like mad for a defender when you think about it. But yeah, um, yeah. Joe. I mean, I mean. So we're saying to Joe that it's not that bad, is it? It's, it's he, not, he not
2: that bad.
0: Just, is it? He might actually just cut this out. Anyway. Yeah, possibly will.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this, Joe is nice. <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, really great to talk about such a great win as well. Um, thank you to all of our followers, uh, the Anfield Talk followers. Really appreciate it. Um, we did a post about uh, mental health that came out of the Jeff Shreves interview. Um, recently, which um, a lot of people supported. So we're really thankful that everybody got on, on that. And in terms of raising awareness, I mean, it got like over 10,000 views, um, you know, hundreds of retweets, all of these kind of things. So really, really want to say thank you to all of our followers for that. Um, please do join in the conversation on hashtag TATpod. Uh, make sure you let us know, give us any feedback on what we discussed today. If anything you disagree on or agree on or if you're a nabilian air fan or, or whatever it is <laughs> less and uh, thank you uh, ryan and robson for being on the show yeah, thank Thanks. you